0: The human experience. Hello, I'm Professor Catherine Colborne, the head of the School of Humanities and Social Science at the University of Newcastle in Australia. Our school is dedicated to assisting our students to become critical thinkers, enabling them to appreciate and understand the world around them. Our researchers examine all facets of what it means to be human. We form partnerships with like-minded groups and researchers. This podcast series, The Human Experience, explores important questions about humanity, society and current events. Join us for thought-provoking conversations with our humanities and social science scholars who are helping to improve the human experience through their research. Hi, I'm Cathy Colborn, and today we are talking to Dr Georgina Ramsey, one of the many thousands of alumni for the University of Newcastle, over 146 countries. Georgina is assistant professor at the University of Delaware. Her work and research has had significant global impact and she has emerged as a leading critical voice regarding current issues of displacement, humanitarianism and the global refugee regime. She is an anthropologist at the University of Delaware in the USA and has conducted research with refugees from Burundi, Rwanda, Liberia and the Democratic Republic of the Congo across settings of asylum in Uganda and resettlement in Australia. Thank you for joining me today, Georgina. Thanks for having me, Cathy. So the obvious question to start with is why did you study at the University of Newcastle? Well, it's not a very profound
1: answer. Uh, (laughs) I went to high school in Newcastle and uh, I was familiar with it. And I knew that the university had a a, a good reputation. So it, it made sense to just stay where I was familiar, where I had a job. So it wasn't like some kind of existential crisis. It was just an obvious decision. Great. And what did you study while you were here with us? So I have three degrees now. And I have studied like each degree at the University of Newcastle. So I'm an alumni like three times over. Um, but I started with a Bachelor of Social Science um, and I actually thought I, was, I would transition from that. I thought I would like maybe do law or uh, psychology, but I stayed with social science, uh, moved into an honors degree in social science and eventually
0: did a PhD in uh, sociology and anthropology. So taking um, up that challenge to uh, do a PhD, to study at PhD level, Mm -hmm. that's a really big decision. Can you remember now what motivated you at the time? Sure. Uh,
1: I'm the kind of person who I I never planned for a PhD. That wasn't something that was like a burning desire and I never saw myself as a person who would do that. Um, But as I got towards the end of my honours degree, and an honours degree is kind of like a big research thesis, And it turned out that I was pretty good at this research thing, (laughs) which was, I guess, unexpected. And um, I had really good advisors um, and faculty here at, um, in the department who were really supportive and they suggested it to me. They said, well, have you thought about doing a PhD? And I said, no, (laughs) Um, but it just, it began to make sense. Um, And I was working in the community with resettled refugees. And I wanted a way that I could combine the practical professional work I was doing with something more research-oriented. So it just became
0: kind of like an obvious transition. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's really impressive because your work has such a, a humanitarian and, and social justice focus. Mm. So combining those passions in a, in a program of studies is a really interesting choice to make, I think.
1: Yeah, and it was really, really localised. Like at the time, it was just what I was living and experiencing. Um, Like Newcastle was really the inspiration for what I started with my research. I I never planned to work with refugees. I, I know a lot of students these days have seen refugees on television, so they have this real burning desire to do something. But for me, I was just friends with refugees and I couldn't understand the way they were being treated. It was sort of, I wanted to explore that more. So it came from this really local context and I just, now I just haven't stopped. And now I'm
0: critiquing the United Nations and doing all sorts of really strange things. It's <laughs> fabulous to see where your degree study uh, can take you. So I'm really interested as well in in how you progressed from being a University of Newcastle graduate, and after all of that interesting study that inspired you, to where you are now. Sure. Uh,
1: so, When I finished in 2016, uh, I, I knew that I wanted to work, I wanted to continue with research and with teaching because I was also teaching at the university. And um, I've been here uh, for alumni awards this week, and I've actually bumped into a lot of former students who have sort of pulled me aside and said, "I was in your tutorial." Oh, lovely, <laughs> and I love that. So I wanted to do research and teaching, and of course that meant pursuing an academic job. Um, so when I first finished, I actually worked here at the university um, in the Centre of Excellence for Equity and Higher Education. And I was doing lots of really amazing projects um, with the the wonderful folks there, but I couldn't help, I had this niggling feeling uh, that this wasn't my job, that there's some sociology of education student who's finishing their PhD who this is their dream job and this isn't my dream job. So I decided to pack a bag and move to Indiana. (laughs) 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 Where I had friends there and um, I used about six months of time there to write a book um, Mm -hmm. based on my PhD and then I started applying for work and that was how I eventually ended up getting my job at
0: Delaware. You sound like you've got a a very strong sort of drive to to move forward and, and you make those decisions with support of others but yeah what is it that kind of inspires you intellectually then? Inspires
1: me intellectually, you know, it actually comes from this feeling that I have when I see people's experiences and the way that the representation of those experiences doesn't match. There's this real disjointed narrative between how people live their lives and then how their lives are sort of uh, made to look on television and radio and, and so... I have been exploring this disjunction, I think, in my intellectual work. And there's kind of a running joke that I just state the obvious and um, in like my, my public facing work, but it's very powerful because we don't do that enough. So part of what I've been doing with refugee settlement policy has been saying that, you know, we need to move beyond just economic integration getting refugees jobs and we actually need to try and promote social integration and I've been to like big sort of policy events in the U.S. and I've stated this and people have come up afterwards and said wow that's so inspiring like you know you just said what what we're all thinking and I said why if we're all thinking these things why aren't we saying them more so that disjuncture has always bothered me and that drives me intellectually to actually like write about it
0: Mm. I mean it's interesting because you say it's um, it's an obvious point but you've also been moving towards um, really presenting a more sophisticated understanding of displacement mm. intellectually and, and academically in relation to what we could call the consequences of militarism and conflict and mm. war. So that's uh, a piece of work that might seem very different in different contexts so from an uh, Australian context Mm. compared with an American context. So what was it like when you moved then from Australia to Philadelphia? Was that confronting experience? Yeah, uh, and if
1: people have spent time in the US, they might have picked up on the similar um, problems or experiences that I've had where there was a huge emphasis on um, military, military sort of uh, militarism and um, especially veterans. Mm. Um, right. And there's also a lot of visible... Homelessness. So I remember the first time I came to Philadelphia and I was sort of walking down the street and I was when I witnessed um, just people sleeping on sidewalks and um, on grates um, where subways were going by to keep warm and it was actually on a flight home, a flight from Australia to Philadelphia where I had this sort of moment of intellectual inspiration actually speaking Mm. of that Mm. um so sometimes i guess jet lag is the intellectual inspiration (laughs) (laughs) so i was like you know across the pacific and i was thinking about going from the heat of summer in australia to the dead of winter in america and i thought oh what do homeless people do when it's when it's winter where do they go when it snows and then i thought these people are displaced you know they don't have they don't have a place to call home or safety or protection. And then I thought, isn't that what I've been studying for the last like 10 years? And that sort of snowballed into this uh, other branch of my research, which is trying to ask questions of displacement, not just about refugees who are the obvious group, but about citizens as well. I think that citizens
0: can also be displaced. So that sort of theorization of, of what it means to study people in and out of place. Yeah. Okay, right. And have you encountered uh, mobilities studies as well, the, the threads of sociology of mobilities?
1: Yeah, I have. Uh, and <laughs> I guess my work certainly speaks to that, but I've been also working with temporality mm. and, and space mm. okay. and trying to put together a way of thinking about displacement, not just as like being pushed or forced across somewhere. Um, And actually looking at how displacement can also be an existential experience because your sense of home can change regardless of whether you're moved outside of it. So there's people who get caught in place who feel that that is uh, that they are displaced at the same time. So sometimes my work is a little bit of a challenge to mobility studies, but it's definitely in dialogue with it.
0: Okay, oh that's so interesting. And so I, I believe you also have done some field work in the Congo quite recently. Now that that is something that not many people can say. So what was that like? Um,
1: it was everything I expected and everything I did not expect at the same time. Um, it was, I, I've worked with Congolese people for almost a decade and I thought I was pretty familiar with what I was stepping into, but I really, I really wasn't. Uh, there's, a, there's a real feeling that you get when you step into a place that hasn't really had a functioning government for 30 years. And before that, the government was a dictatorship. So these are people who are surviving completely isolated from government systems of support and that was really intense to witness.
0: Mm. So uh, what did you actually conduct there? That what kind of research did you actually conduct while you were in the Congo?
1: Well being me um, I was quite contrary Uh, so I was really lucky to be supported through a research institute there that is attached to the Pansy Hospital which um, is a hospital that's dedicated to women who've experienced sexual violence. So when I was going to work through the hospital I arrived and they thought that I was going to study women's experiences of sexual violence and, and I said you know, I think that's a narrative that gets talked about with Congolese people a lot and I'd like to tell a different story. And I was a bit nervous about saying that and then they said, oh, amazing. (laughs) We're so sick of foreign researchers coming in and, you know, doing the same research. So I decided instead to study the urban poor okay, and, mm. and urban displacement because mm. a lot of the people, it's a city, I was working in Bukavu, which is a city of a million people and many of them have been displaced from villages over the last 20 years. So mm. I was, I actually did, I interviewed 65 people. And I worked with young people before they get married uh, and asked them what their expectations for the future were. And then I interviewed older people, like in their 50s and 60s, who've been married for 30, 40 years. And I was saying, you know, did your expectations for the future actually work out? And trying to find threads in those stories that connect to a shared experience.
0: Oh, I really want to read about this. So uh, we were talking uh, the other evening about uh, the global history of imperialism and decolonisation and mm-hmm. the Congo's fascinating part in that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what rich research. So obviously these experiences, these research and educational and, uh, you know, field work experiences have changed you. And I'm interested in, in how and, and can you put your finger on that?
1: It's It's always difficult to you're always in a process of changing, right? And it's sort of hard to pull out exactly uh, like the moment where something shifts in how you feel as a person. But certainly um, the more work I do, the more humbled I get, Um, which is, it's an interesting paradox, I think, because there's a lot of perceptions about, you know, becoming a, a doctor, getting a PhD, an academic job you would think it would sort of enhance a person's sense of prestige but for me it's been sort of the opposite it's more of a drive to try and do justice to the people because all of this is based on their experiences and the more i talk to people in you know between like homeless people philadelphia uh, displaced people in congo there's there's much more similarity between experiences than there is uh, dissimilarity. People all want the same thing, in my experience. They just want to be safe. They just want to have – they want their children to have futures. That's what they really want. And unfortunately, across the globe, that's not what people are – they have a lot of anxiety about that.
0: So – yeah, I guess being trained as a sociologist and anthropologist, you're you're able to see those kinds of patterns in common cultures and conversations. So it puts you in a, a really interesting position, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. And and the world like, I don't know, maybe I'm just
1: there's a sense of the world is sort of in a state of flux right now. There's a lot of anxiety for many people. Um, You know, talking to my friends in Australia, they're worried about climate change and they're tossing up whether they wanna have children in this this world. And I've had uh, similar conversations with people uh, about similar anxieties across the world. And I just think like, wow, why aren't we bringing out these commonalities instead of talking about divisions? You know, that it strikes me as quite a powerful political move to say your anxiety is shared by someone in Congo,
0: in Philadelphia. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And, and look, um, now switching focus a little bit, you've been recognised as a University of Newcastle alumni awardee just this week, as you've mentioned, and uh, we're very proud of you. What does it mean to you to be a, um, one of these um, alumni and also uh, an award winner, an achiever?
1: Oh <laughs> well, I can answer the first bit a bit easier I think um, so I, I had a love-hate relationship with the University of Newcastle when I was a student I think everyone does um, at their institution you know the parking was terrible and mosquitoes and all of that but that was standing um, I get a real kick out of my my alumni status. I absolutely love telling people that I did all of my study at the University of Newcastle. Um, it's just such a wonderful institution to represent. Um, it, you know, it's it seems like it's getting better and better every year. But what I love about it is that people the University of Newcastle is a regional university in Australia. And I look at where I am and I just think I am kicking it with people who got their PhDs from Yale or Harvard or like, you know, UCL. And they ask me where I'm from and I'm like, I'm from Newcastle. (laughs) And I had such a great education and I am absolutely, I mean it, Mm. Uh, and I encourage people to to come here. Um, Yesterday I had this wonderful experience where I got to go to my old high school. Uh, and there was a student who came up to me at the end of a presentation where I was talking about what I studied, and she was 15, and she said, oh, "You know, how did you do all of this? Like, what can I do? Um, you know, how do I finance this?" And it was kind of like, "Well, use the resources that you've got. You know, your University of Newcastle's right here. You know, you don't have to go somewhere and." you know, you have it here, especially like the University of Newcastle with development studies and sociology and anthropology and,
0: yeah... Mm. That's fantastic, isn't it? Because uh, we do obviously want to see more people do the kind of work that you do, and that brings me to make the comment that it's fantastic to see in our um, alumni awards so many of the social sciences and humanities being recognised, particularly this year. So I wonder if you want to reflect on that a little bit about you know the mm. the disciplines themselves and where they're at for you in your kind of pers- from your perspective like in in Newcastle or like generally yeah I think probably mm-hmm. uh yeah where have they taken you I mean I oh. think you've you've talked about your your global impact as a researcher and you've mm. done that by being a social scientist mm.
1: yeah. yeah I think um I think the world needs social scientists and humanities as well I, I sort of cap them together um we're in a you know we're in a bit of a pickle um in terms of (laughs) some global political situations and um social science is critical to understand why people are making the decisions that they're making if you want to explain the contemporary rise of populism or attitudes towards immigrants like you can't look to like sheer quantitative data to, to get that story. You need to be there with people getting their experiences and the social scientists give you the, the tools to not demonize, uh, in the process. You know, anthropology is about research without judgment in order to analyze and actually find the real story. So, uh, yeah we need more emphasis on the social sciences not less so in terms of seeing what the alumni awards were doing this year and actually recognizing um social sciences and humanities and also scientists who have a more like humanistic approach as well because a lot of the people who are being recognized for like uh medical uh degrees uh, medical professional degrees and and nutrition are people who work in very you know humanistic ways so yeah, it's great.
0: Absolutely, and I think Newcastle's in a really good position to move forward with multidisciplinary research yes. programs and collaborations across areas, and that's something that uh, we're certainly promoting in, in the School of Humanities and Social Science. So now, Georgina, that brings us almost to the end, but what's the latest in your career? You seem to be working on books and, and uh, moving forward with all of your uh, research, so what's, what's happening next? Well, I am writing a book
1: called Anti-Refugee and I think it's good to put that out there because I uh, really need to finish this work so (laughs) it's kind of accountability. (laughs) Nothing like a bit of motivation. It's like when's that coming out? (laughs) Oh good good point. Uh, Yeah so I'm working on a book called Anti-Refugee which is a very um, sort of controversial title but it's for a reason. Uh, I it's a It's a body of work that pulls on research that I've conducted with refugees and research that I've conducted uh, with people about their attitudes towards refugees. I'll try and uh, just be brief about it, but when I first moved to the U.S. in 2016 in Indiana, during the election, uh, there was a lot of politicking going on, and uh, one side was saying, we can't help refugees because we need to help our homeless veterans. And then the other side was saying, no, we need to help refugees, they're fleeing a war. And I thought both of these groups, veterans, like homeless veterans and refugees are both displaced by war. And yet they're both being, groups are being objectified in the same way. So I wanted to write a book where I could show actually how these experiences are connected Uh, So I've actually been working with homeless veterans, getting their experiences um, in order to speak to that. And the reason it's titled anti-refugees is because we should all be anti-refugee. Refugees shouldn't exist as a category of person. You know, we should be able to recognise people's shared humanity and just bring them into our worlds um, as humans, not as you're a citizen, you're a refugee. So that's the current the current writing project. And then I've got this other sort of research with Congolese people, which I will be going back to do more field work and I have absolutely no idea what that will result in,
0: but it'll probably be something exciting and strange, so. I'm sure it will be. I have absolute confidence in you and we're we're very proud uh, of what you've achieved as uh, one of our graduates and particularly from our disciplines in the School of Humanities and Social Science. So I've been speaking with Georgina Ramsey, who's a wonderful young academic uh, progressing extraordinarily quickly in her career in the United States. And uh, thank you so much for speaking with us today, Georgina.
1: Thank you.